You ready? Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. This weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. On today's special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we meet and compare two giants in the journalism business in the state of Arkansas, Walter Hussman and Alan Leverett. Let's begin with Carrie's patented biographies which begin each program. First, Walter Hussman. A third-generation newspaper man and the publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in Little Rock, the largest newspaper in Arkansas. Hussman is known nationwide for his David versus Goliath win in a 17-year newspaper war between the Democrat and the Arkansas Gazette. That, in 1991, culminated into a merger between the two, thus creating the now-known Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Hussman's other notable accomplishments came during the dot-com restructuring of readership from print to online. In 2007, for the Wall Street Journal, Hussman penned an article, How to Sink a Newspaper, urging newspapers to stop providing free content online. He warned that the online posting of newspapers would become a self-inflicted wound. Walter was born in Texarkana, Texas, raised in Camden, Arkansas, and schooled in North Carolina and New York. Before returning to Camden, Arkansas, and hiring on as the general manager of the Camden News, he cut his teeth as a reporter for Forbes magazine. It was in 1973 that Walter accepted a job in Hot Springs, Arkansas, as vice president and general manager of Palmer Newspaper, a division of Waco Media, a family enterprise. The following year, his parent company, Waco Media, purchased the Arkansas Democrat newspaper, and Hussman moved from Hot Springs to Little Rock to manage this new acquisition. As circulation for his Democrat newspaper dwindled, Hussman reached out to his main competitor, the Arkansas Gazette newspaper, requesting a merger of the two. When then-publisher Mr. Hugh Patterson refused, Hussman vowed to work hard and revitalize his fledgling Democrat newspaper. By 1980, a mere five years after his merger request, the Democrat had become the fastest-growing newspaper in the United States. By 1986, under Hussman's management, the Democrat led the Gazette in Sunday distribution and was tied in daily circulation. In 1991, Waco Media purchased the Gazette from its more recent owner, Gannett, and did what Hussman had proposed two decades earlier. They combined the two papers into a new publication named simply the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, which Hussman Walter Hussman Jr. remains at the helm today. And now a quick profile of our other guest on this program, Alan Leverett. Who, in 1974, with a few friends, launched the Arkansas Times, an alternative monthly magazine about political and cultural news in Arkansas. Following the 13-year war between the two newspapers, Arkansas Gazette and Arkansas Democrat, which resulted in the closing of the Gazette in 1991 and the renaming of Democrat to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Allen said, and I quote, we wanted to keep the Gazette's voice alive in the community. 
And last but not least, when Alan is not trying to change the world, he is a second-generation farmer or third? Mm, third. Third-generation farmer. I read you started your media career in college. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, actually, I started a newspaper at North Little Rock High School called Essence. And I was actually a conservative activist, a conservative political activist in high school. I came from a very conservative family politically and was active in Young Americans for Freedom. And so I started Essence in high school my senior year and then took it to college with me. And it was a libertarian, independent student newspaper. That's not conservative. Well, it is actually. It's, Libertarianism it's is conservative. What's the definition of that? Well, libertarian libertarians believe in very, very limited government. Oh. And so they want to keep the government out of your pocketbook. They also want to keep the government out of your bedroom. So well, I you know, agree it's, with it's, that. it's actually sort of like, you know, I, I respect libertarians the way I respect the Catholic Church. You know, I, don't, I don't agree with their stance on abortion, but it's very, very consistent with their pro-life stance on the death penalty. I respect the Catholic Church because even though I disagree on abortion, they are very, very consistent in their pro-life. Not like many evangelical conservatives who say, well, we're pro-life when it comes to abortion, but we're all for the death penalty. Oh, I never thought about that. So libertarians are the same way, whereas the social conservatives, they want to get the government out of your pocket, but they want to put the government back in your bedroom. Libertarians are very consistent in saying that we want as little government as possible. I've never thought about either of those issues. So after you got out of college, you started another newspaper. Jim Bell, the owner of Publishers Bookshop, gave me $200. I asked Jim if he wanted to buy stock. And he said, well, how much are you looking for? And I said, what do you got? He says, well, I'll give you $200. I said, great. I'd been down to Parkin Printing Company, and I bought me a blank stock certificate. So I filled it out and gave it to him, and he gave me $200. Found out years later he had written down in his checkbook donation he never expected to see the $200 again. So that newspaper was called? Union Station That's Times, right. And which eventually morphed into Arkansas Times because we realized we couldn't make a living as a neighborhood newspaper. And we were down on this little railroad house down on 2nd Street by the train station, Union Station. And David and I lived in the back and then we put out the, and our volunteer staff, we put out the... Was it conservative? No, it was... It was moving in a more liberal direction. It was mainly, it was focused. It wasn't so political. It was really focused on investigative reporting. We weren't near as peggable, if you will. Although I remember Siebert Distributing, they were the magazine distributor here in Little Rock back then. And Mr. Siebert decided we were communist, where he came up with that. <laughs> but he said we were communist, and so he wouldn't distribute us. So that's when we started having to put out boxes and come up with all kinds of ways to get the newspaper in people's hands. And that Union Station newspaper that was investigative reporting morphed into the Arkansas Times. Right, as we, it became Union Station Times and Arkansas's Union Station Times. In 2015, you did a really big investigative story and you broke some news in Northwest Arkansas. They got picked up nationally. Oh yeah. You may have heard Carrie McCoy refer to Alan Leverett as being a third generation Arkansas farmer. Well, there's a third generation aspect to Walter Hussman as well. Three generations of newspaper men in your family. You're the third. And I read also about your father. So to get to know you and for our listeners to get to know you, let's start with your father and tell us a little bit about him. Well, he was uh, born in 1906 in Bland, Missouri, and uh, their family was uh, German, uh, and uh, the uh, ancestors had come over from Germany, and uh, a lot of Germans settled in Missouri. And uh, my uh, uh, grandfather was a railroad engineer, 
and uh, they lived in uh, the German section of uh, St. Louis. And I remember going up there. I never really knew my grandfather, but uh, my grandmother, I did. We'd go up to St. Louis, and uh, they lived in row houses with stoops. I still remember that very vividly. So he grew up in a, uh, you know, uh, lowered uh, a lower working class, uh, you know, neighborhood, and that and that's that's what his family was. And my dad dropped out of uh, high school and went to work out in the wheat fields of Kansas, et cetera. And uh, he later went back to high school, and I think he was maybe twenty years old when he went back to high school. It was so embarrassing. Said to him, he was in there with a bunch of fourteen, fifteen year old kids. But he went. He realized that he made a big mistake, and uh, so then he went on to the University of Missouri, and uh, he was studying journalism, and uh, that's where he met my mother. Uh, she was from Texarkana, and she'd gone to Lindenwood College in, in St. Louis, and then she m- transferred over to the University of Missouri, and she was in the journalism school. So anyway, they met and uh, in the journalism school, and he also was in journalism school with his college roommate who was a fellow named Donald W. Reynolds. I know. Wow. And, and uh, Don Reynolds, of course, is a man that's made so many incredible philanthropic gifts in Arkansas and Oklahoma and Nevada and, and other places, but mainly those three states. So anyway, and they were lifelong friends. So anyway, um, that's a little bit about the start of my dad. I uh, I think it's interesting that a guy who dropped out of high school goes off to go to college in journalism. So he obviously didn't have a reading problem. Yeah, no, no, he was a very smart fella. And uh, so he joined the service in World War Two, right at 35. Yeah, I can't remember his age. But I remember uh, he uh, came from Camden up to Little Rock and he was over at uh, Camp Robinson. And he was the public affairs officer. And uh, so uh, and then his friend Don Reynolds asked for him to be transferred over to Europe where the war was going on. And uh, Don was the publisher of Yank Magazine, which was a publication owned by the United States Army or United States Armed Forces. And it was for the entertainment of uh, and information for the troops. It's kind of like the newspaper was uh, Stars and Stripes. Well, there was also a Yank Magazine that came out less frequently. Uh, and so anyway, they were co-publishers of Yank Magazine in Paris at the time. And I remember going, when I was 13 years old, I got to go to Europe with my mom and dad and grandmother and uh, we stayed in the hotel, and my dad was telling me, you know, when he was in Paris, it had been liberated by the American forces, but there were still snipers. There were still Nazi sympathizers, so it was still a little bit dangerous being there. I guess Yank doesn't stand for Yankee, or? Um, I'm not sure how they got, yeah. And then your father-in-law's interesting. So your father met your mother in journalism in Missouri. Right. And turns out her father was Mr. Palmer. Yeah. Who... Tell our listeners. Yeah, so he was from Clear Lake, Iowa, and somehow ended up and working for the railroad in Fort Worth. And my grandmother was from Cleveland, Tennessee, and I don't know how she ended up in Fort Worth, but they met, they got married, and they decided to go on their honeymoon. So they got on the train, and I guess back in those days, if you worked for the railroad, you get to ride the trains for free. So uh, and back in 1909, the, the railroads uh, only ran during daylight hours because there wasn't enough fencing in the United States. And so there was a lot of livestock that roamed around, and the train didn't want to run into some cattle or anything. So they stopped the first night in uh, Texarkana. And so they got off the train, and they went into town, and uh, 
apparently met some people, had a great time, and they thought, gosh, let's let's stay here a couple of nights, and, you know, there'll be another train coming through, and we can get on the train going down on our honeymoon down to Florida or Cuba or wherever they were going. Anyway, they liked Texarkana so much they decided to settle there, and um, he went to work for the news- one of the newspapers. There were a number of newspapers in Texarkana then, and he eventually got to buy into it and eventually got to buy all of it and eventually ended up being the only newspaper in Texarkana. And that's where you were born, and that was your grandfather? Yeah, that's my grandfather, C.E. Palmer. Well, he sure did turn that little newspaper into a media giant, didn't he? Yeah, actually, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my grandfather was a real entrepreneur, and uh, he was buying uh, oil leases and things over in El Dorado. And and uh, the story is, and I don't know how accurate this is, but the story that was handed down in the family is that he bought up a whole bunch of land leases, you know, in around El Dorado to smack over. And uh, H.L. Hunt bought a bunch of them, too, but H.L. Hunt's was on one side of the railroad track and my grandfather's were on the other. And it turns out on the side H.L. Hunt got, well, that's where the oil was. So, so we kind of ended up in the newspaper business instead of the oil business. <laughs> Some people wanted to buy the Texarkana paper and uh, they actually, he sold it to them. You know, I guess he thought, gosh, they're offering such a fantastic price. But anyway, um, they, they gave him some cash and they gave him some notes, I guess, because they're paying such a high price. He was willing to take some notes. Well, along came the Depression, and uh, they defaulted on the notes. So he ended up with the ownership of the newspaper. And he yeah. bought other newspapers after that, too, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, so we, we really literally ended up back in the newspaper industry by default, literally. <laughs> and, and Literally. And he bought Hot Springs newspaper? He bought the paper in Hot Springs. Camden? And El, uh, Camden, El Dorado, uh, and uh, Magnolia. And of course, Texarkana was his home. When did he decide to call it Waco? Uh, he didn't. Oh, uh, that yeah. was you. No, well, that was my dad. That was your dad. Because it's W-E-H-C-O stands for Walter E. Hussman Company. Now that we've got a good solid foundation for the beginnings of the careers of these two journalistic giants, let's talk about today. Here's Carrie with Alan Leverett. Is the Times a magazine or a newspaper? And what's the difference? Well, the Times, I guess I'd have to say is a newspaper because the Times is much, much more current. But the Times is right in the middle of what's going on in terms of politics, in terms of culture, in terms of weekly music, live music, entertainment, dining. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're, we're covering the legislature. We have people out at the legislature. Max Brantley with the Arkansas blog, ArkansasTimes.com. His blog is he'll do 20 posts a day. What? Uh, oh, yeah. No, he'll be sitting there watching the live feed of the legislature on the debates and everything. Plus, he knows where everybody is buried in the state of Arkansas. So he can bring that 50 years of experience as a working journalist, his knowledge of the legislature and technology and deliver really good, insightful. Does anybody else do that? Do blogs, like 20 blogs a day from the legislature? Or is he the only one? No no one's doing that now, right now in this market. And no one does it as persistently as Max does. That's wonderful. Yeah. So it's really good. If If you're interested in breaking news and breaking news from a really, really informed left of center perspective, Max at ArkansasTimes.com. The Arkansas blog is the place to go. Is that free to be on the Arkansas Times? Everything at the Arkansas Times is free except the Arkansas blog. And the Arkansas blog is a meter. It has a metered paywall. So, like, you can go there 10 times a month free of charge. And then we cut you off because we're trying to all of us live indoors. And as you said, technology (laughs) is changing. 
And so we are trying to find new advertising revenues and new revenue streams. And what we found is that we need to be. You need money. The, the pe- we need money. Yeah. yeah the people. The technology people, is expensive. The, the people who, well, people are expensive. People like Max who have the experience and the knowledge and the know-how. I've got to pay them. And so readers have got to step up and help pay that bill too, not just advertisers anymore. Yeah. And so the Arkansas Times is free. It's everywhere. You can oh, yeah. pick it up everywhere. So Ar- you can't make money off of that. It's not like the newspaper where you have a subscription. There's well, no subscription. We, we make, we, the Arkansas Times, you know, we, we, like, we joke internally, we're aspirationally profitable. But the Arkansas Times sells advertising. We sell a lot of advertising. Yeah. Plus we do other things. Like you said, El Latino. We do Arkansas Wild Magazine, which is eight times a year. It's a statewide. We do two bike magazines a year, four Arkansas Wild magazines a year. We do Paddle magazine once a year. We do a lot of things. How many employees do you have? We have 35. And how many freelance people do you have? A few. We use some freelance. We rely on the Arkansas Times. We're probably 80% staff written. We've got seven full-time staff members on the Times. This has been a rough time for newspapers all over the United States. You know, the Democrat has had to lay off gosh, I don't know, 15, 20 reporters. And we have been able to avoid that, but it's been very, very difficult. So, Alan, the Arkansas Gazette, I read when I was doing the research for you, Mm -hmm. started in 1819 Mm -hmm. in Arkansas before it was even a state. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. When it folded in 1991, its assets were purchased by the then Democrat newspaper. Mm -hmm. What did you think about all that? Because you were already in business. My second job was writing weekend obituaries at the Arkansas Democrat. I could barely type. And my third job was being the weekend obituary writer at the Arkansas Gazette a year later. So I'd worked at both papers. And that's, by the way, the lowest of the lowest entry-level jobs is not only only to be the obit writer, be the weekend obit writer. (laughs) But I knew that the Gazette was by far the the best paper in terms of reporting, in terms of journalism, had a sorry business office. Absolutely, there was nothing but order takers. But what a salesman in amongst them. And, you know, they were, the Democrat was only a quarter of the size of customers as the Gazette had. Right, but you had, you had a very, very dedicated publisher. You had a young guy that had a very, very deep pockets from his family's. Are you uh, talking about Mr. Husman? Yes, and he was young then. And he had very deep pockets. His family had been doing cable television for years and years. So he was able just to outlose the Gazette. And then when, when the owners of the Gazette sold out to uh, Gannett, you know, we thought, well, that's the end of the Democrat. But yes, what, right. But what we didn't realize is that for Gannett, this was a business decision. How many millions of dollars they were going to lose, they had to answer to stockholders. For Mr. Hussman, it was a lifestyle decision. I mean, do you want to be publisher of the daily newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas? And that's a life, and that's that's hard to put a, a value on. And evidently, he put a greater value on it than Gannett and their stockholders did. And so ultimately, they walked, and he took over. And I will tell you, I think the Democrat today is a very good newspaper, and we're lucky to have a local owner. You see some of the sorriest papers in the world in some cities much larger than ours because they're daily papers. Uh, business is tough. You don't have a publisher that will commit 
personal resources to keep that paper alive and keep it doing what it ought to be doing for its community. And I think the Democrat does that. You know, we are lucky to have a local owner for our newspaper. Yeah, and it's not I some mean, big corporation in New York that's running exactly. it. And when I read about how good Walter Hussman did and what a great businessman he was and how competitive he was and how he just was not going to fold... When his subscribers were low, he went to the Gazette and said, do you want to buy my paper? And they said no. And 13 years later, they're folding, and he's buying their assets Mm -hmm. for probably 10 cents on the dollar. I'm sure it's frustrating, though, because when he took that over, basically he had a printing press for money when he was able to finally win that newspaper war. And it wasn't five or six years later, the bottom fell out of the newspaper business. But I'm sure he's made it back. I'm but not yeah, and he's one of Walter. And the Arkansas Gazette's one of the newspapers that is solvent across America. When everybody was not, it was solvent, and is sometimes used as an example of how to do business. Oh, the Arkansas Gazette. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was wildly profitable. Mm-hmm. There's that phrase, the newspaper war between the Arkansas Democrat and the Arkansas Gazette. Let's hear Walter Hussman's perspective on those years. I remember it. It was a war. They called it the newspaper war and was probably the most aggressive newspaper war in the United States. Well, it really didn't start out that way. Really, we tried to reduce expenses a lot in the newspaper. There was, uh, I remember when we bought the paper, there was a union organizing attempt in both the Democrat and the Gazette. And so the first thing we needed to do was try to win that election. And we won uh, 31 to 15 still remember all these years <laughs> later and uh the gazette won their election 50 to 50 that tells you a little bit incident in an event of a tie management always wins so the interesting thing they had 100 people that voted in their newsroom and we had you know 31 to 15 so we what had, does that tell you they had they had a newsroom that was double our size so obviously there was a lot more news and a lot more information in the gazette and so at first we just tried to be Uh, more clever, you know, do more local news, maybe, you know, um, just edit the paper in a more interesting way than the Gazette. And we tried to be a compliment to the Gazette. You know, we knew the Gazette was dominant. We tried to be a compliment. We tried to be profitable. That strategy didn't work. And so after about three years, uh, my dad had said when we bought it, he said, you know, this is kind of a long shot. And so we got to have enough business discipline to realize after three years, if this doesn't work, we need to realize it and not throw any good money after bad. So you've come to your three-year mark. So we'd come to the three-year mark, and it was kind of of discouraging because we had made so much progress. For example, our production cost per page had gone from about $100 per page in labor to about $20 a page in labor. Is that from automation? Uh, yeah, some, some, yeah, definitely some automation and just, you know, and some of the unions had decertified and so we had more flexible work rules, but we were still losing money. We were losing market share. And so at that point we tried to throw in the towel. That's when we went to the Gazette and said, why don't we do a joint operating agreement, which was an exemption from the antitrust laws to allow two newspapers to combine their business operations. So our proposal was, you know, we'll we'll still put out a newspaper in the afternoon. You put out one in the afternoon, but you run everything. You run all the business operations. Only one company to come to to buy newspaper advertising, and that would be the combined company. And we'd take 10% of the profits, give you 90% of the profits, et cetera. So. Were you offering uh, the paper cheap? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we weren't, you know. Why we, do you think they didn't take it? 
they thought we were going to go out of business. That's what I they think. They were just going to wait it out. And and I, th- the, you know, I can't blame them really. Mm-hmm. I think they thought they were probably they were right. We were about to go out of business, mm-hmm. you know. And we th- we thought about shutting the newspaper down. So I've read this two different ways, and I don't know which one's right. Was the Demo- the Democrat the one you owned was an afternoon paper, uh, and it had half the circulation as the Gazette, which was the morning paper. But w- which one was the liberal, and which one was the conservative? Well, the, the Gazette was more liberal, and the Democrat when we bought it was not really conservative. It was just kind of it's hard. I mean, it was kind of middle of the road, I guess. And 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 because we were more conservative, the editorial page became more conservative. So when Hugh Patterson, the managing or the publisher of the Gazette, turned out, declined your offer, what made you decide that you were going to just go for it? And you did three things that really turned your paper around. Yeah, well, basically, we said, you know, uh, at this point, we're looking at shutting the paper down. We got legal opinions about what will happen. How do we do this? (laughs) You know, what are the liabilities we'll have to pay off, et cetera? And we did owe notes on the paper, which we would have had to pay off. And so, anyway... Uh, and how old are you right now when this is going uh, on? This is going on, see, I was 27 when we bought the paper, so I was like 31. He's you know? a child. So, anyway, okay. so, basically, you know, we sat down and figured... My dad said, you know, we've always been successful. We got, we've always been successful publishing newspapers. We got into the radio business in the 1930s. We were always successful at that. We got into the television business in the 1950s. We've been successful at that. We got into the cable television business in 1964. We've been, this is, you know, in the history of our company, this is a pretty spectacular failure. And so I thought, you know what? If we're going to fail at this, let's just don't whimper out. Let's say we gave it everything we could. And let's see if there's any other strategy that would work, you know. And we said, you know, we really haven't tried to put out as good a newspaper as the Gazette. We've tried to edit it more cleverly and emphasize more local news and things like that. We are not giving people as good a product. We don't have as much news in the paper. We don't have as much advertising in the paper. Is there something that could work where we would actually try to do that? And so at that point, we went around to four or five places in the country and one in Canada where the number two newspaper had pursued a successful strategy to try to catch up with the number one newspaper. We went to uh, the D- Dallas where the afternoon paper had become a morning paper. We went to Chattanooga where the number two newspaper had become the number one newspaper, mainly by putting a lot more news in their paper than the other paper. We went to Winnipeg, Canada, which had gone with free one ads for classified advertising. So there'd be more readership for the classified ads in the competition. And you took notes on all of that. So, we, yeah, we kind of uh, sort of amalgamated a, a strategy and thought, you know, why don't we try to do all of it at one time? And, you know, if this fails, we can say at least we tried everything. Be an epic failure. Yeah. Well, we, you know. So you did. You offered free one ads. First right. time I ever heard of it. You switched to a morning distribution, and you brought on new talent so you'd have better content. Right, yeah. And you learned all three of those from your research. Right, from looking at what had worked in other markets. Wow, that's really impressive. And it only took five years, I think, for the Democrat to be noted as the fastest-growing newspaper in the United States, and you were tied with the Gazette. Well, we, uh, yeah, no, we, we, we were not tied with them in circulation by night, been five years, but, but we were gaining, we were gaining on them. And, uh, 
I'll tell you the most amazing part of that whole story is our classified advertising revenues in 1978, before we went to free one ads, were $796,000 a year. Five years later, our classified advertising revenues were over $5 million a year. But you were giving them away for free. I know. Everybody says, how could that happen? <gasps> and so we only gave the ads away free to individuals who had for, for sale by owner. Uh, if they wanted to sell a pet, if they wanted to sell a car, if they wanted to sell a boat. And so all of a Garage sudden. Garage sales. Yeah. And so this is what they did in Winnipeg, Canada. And all of a sudden, we had a lot more cars for sale in our newspaper than the Gazette had cars for sale in their newspaper. So now the car dealers decided they wanted to start running with us. And, of course, the car dealers paid for their advertising. Was that unexpected? No, that was the whole plan. You knew it. Well, no, we, we, that's, we knew that's what it would work like if it was successful. We didn't know if it'd be successful. In fact, the paper in Colorado Springs several years later came down, and they copied everything we did. They copied our TV ads. They copied the, you know, how we manned the phones and everything, and it never worked in Colorado Springs. Why, I don't know, but, but it, it worked here in Little Rock. So you were willing to share all of this with, an, with a fellow newspaper we, we've uh, newspapers have been great all over the country because typically they don't compete with one another. They're in different markets. So newspapers are always pretty much shared anything they've done with other fellow newspaper owners. I thought there was a time and I may be completely wrong about this. I thought there was a time when there were some sort of rules in place that no one person could have a monopoly in media and that that was deregulated maybe during the Clinton years? Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm thinking? Well, the, the, yeah, well, there's the cross-ownership rules. Basically, you couldn't own a newspaper and a television station in the same market, for But example. Waco did. Uh, well, uh, cer- different markets. Certain, certain markets were grandfathered in, uh, like we owned a newspaper and a te- uh, television station in Texarkana. And actually, uh, that uh, we got grandfathered in, and then later they decided, well, we shouldn't own it, and we actually went to court. Uh, and we won that in court in the Fifth Circuit. So we were able to keep our television station. And now those rules, what do you call that rule? Cross-ownership. And now those cross-ownerships don't apply anymore, right? Well, yeah, that's that's they're actively considering allowing you know newspapers and TV stations to be owned by the and, same company. And the reason you couldn't have cross-ownership is because they didn't want any one that, person to have too big of a voice to, yeah, for that, propaganda? Yeah, well, that that was one of the main reasons. And also, you know, if you owned a television station and a newspaper in the same market, you'd have an inordinate amount of the advertising revenue. And control over yeah, control the media. Yeah, control ch- what you charge for advertising. Oh, well, I see. I never thought of it like that. I thought of it as more like you'd have uh, too much control over over what over what you told them that's true that that was that was a major reason for Pro- the rule. propaganda that you could you could sway public opinion and you would never write about yourself if you were a crook because you owned everything <laughs> that's what i would do yeah. it's like don't tell anything about the family in the newspaper um so when you had this great success and you decided to turn it into the arkansas democrat gazette how did you depict that name Arkansas Democrat Gazette. How did you oh, decide to just merge those names? Because the Gazette had been had had a great tradition in Arkansas. Had been a great newspaper. It's the oldest newspaper west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Won Pulitzer prizes. I just didn't feel like it was right to let the Gazette name go away. So you added the Democrat to it. Yeah. And right before, um, you bought it. Waco was was big. Waco. 
media it was a big company in arkansas but gannett bought the um the Gazette, the Arkansas Gazette, and they are a nationwide big company. Yeah, are you shaking in your boots now? Oh yeah, they uh, when they came to town. You say we're a big company. We had about sixty million dollars a year in revenue. I think Gannett had like two billion dollars a year in revenue. Yeah, you know? that's like really <laughs> big. So we were not. We were pretty small compared yeah, to them. Compared to them, but yeah, they made it known when Al Newharth came to Little Rock. He said, you know, we're here to use our considerable resources to prevail and in the newspaper market here. so And they ended up suing you over antitrust lawsuit, no, didn't No, they? Gannett didn't. That was a suit filed by the previous owner, the Patterson, the Hugh Patterson. And oh, okay. And you won that law. And you won that lawsuit. Yeah. So what happened is that uh, we were gaining market share, you know, with our new strategy, morning newspaper, free one ads and all these things. And I know it was fr- must have been frustrating to the owners of the Gazette because at one time they could have, you know, had 90% of the whole thing to themselves. Right. And now, uh, you know, what I think frustrated them the most was in 1984, we finally gained enough market share where we had some profitable months. Okay, so that was big because we we lost a lot of money doing the turnaround, mm-hmm. you know, in 79, 80. But every year we lost less and less and less money. And in 84, in April of 1984, we made a profit of over $14,000 after depreciation, <laughs> after interest, after tax, everything. That's not very much. And, and we print, I know it's not much, but when you've lost a lot of money, it seemed great. And we printed up these buttons that said, we're in the black. And, and I thought, what are we going to do with $14,000? That's not much compared to So we took it and we divided it by 352 employees and we gave everybody a check for like $40 or something. And said, you know, we're going to take our first profit and give it to our employees. That's awesome. So did uh, the owner of the paper, when you began to take over market shares, did the owner of the Arkansas Gazette come to you and say, okay, remember that offer you made me a while back? No. He didn't. No, His ego no. was too big. Now, that was in, in April of 84 when we made a profit. In December of 84, they filed an antitrust suit saying we were trying to drive them out of business. And when we got, we finally got all the records through the antitrust suit, we had about 36% of the revenue, and they had about 64% of the revenue, yet we were trying to drive them out of business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to the jury either, and that's when we, we won the case in 86. So they sold to the Gannett, to Gannett, and then you still continued to grow, even though Gannett had deep, deep pockets, and they finally, how many years did they stay a little under five years, and they just decided to give it to give it to you. Well, I tell you what happened to the Gazette uh, under 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 the previous owners. The Gazette had been profitable every year. In fact, I remember at the trial we introduced an exhibit, and the Gazette had never lost money in a single year, even during the Great Depression. Really, pretty remarkable. That is remarkable. But once it was sold to Gannett, the strategy was just sort of a scorched earth, all out. We're going to become the only paper in town. And we our losses went way up, too, you know, to try to match them. And uh, so with that going on, uh, the Gazette started losing money. And more importantly, we continued to gain market share. And they lost market share until about 1988, okay, a couple of years later. And they got so frustrated, they cut their subscription price from, like, $2 a week to $0.85 cents a week for every single one of their subscribers. And if we had cut our price like they had, 
we would have lost so much money we would have gone out of business. So we couldn't do that. And so in the final analysis over the five years they had the paper, they lost more money every year than they lost the previous year, and they lost market share every year over the previous year. And so one of the things I learned from this whole experience is think about profitability. You're either making money or you're losing money. And think about market share. You're either gaining market share or you're losing market share. So there are four different scenarios you can find yourself in. You can be making money and gaining market share. That's the best of the four. Sure. You know, but you can be making money and you can lose market share and you're going to keep your business open because it's still profitable. I don't know how long it's going to be profitable, but it's still profitable. You Mm -hmm. know, now you could be. You could be losing, as I just mentioned, be profitable, losing market share. Uh, You can be losing money and gaining market share. In a growth mode. And and that's where the Democrat was. And it's still worth continuing to to operate because you can see if we keep gaining market share, eventually we're going to be profitable, you know, if it makes sense. The only scenario that is a lose-lose is if you're losing money and you're losing market share. And if you're in that situation, it doesn't matter whether you're a newspaper or I remember Exxon got into the office products business in the 70s. They lost money. They lost market share. It doesn't matter how big you are. If you lose money and you lose market share, you're not going to be you're not going to survive. And that's the situation Gannett found themselves in with the Gazette. You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a special edition of the program where we're getting historical perspective and commentary on today's journalism from two journalism giants in our state. Alan Leverett from the Arkansas Times and Walter Hussman Jr. from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. We'll be back with something from Alan in just a moment. Time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Alan his opinion about the future of media in America. It's the time of year to splash your home with as much red, white, and blue as possible. The patriotic season in the USA, it runs from Memorial Day all the way through Labor Day. And this year, you'll want to do it more proudly than ever before. Whether you're honoring frontline essential workers, first responders, or just the fact that you're thankful to be an American, theflagandbanner.com has everything you need to string pennants around the porch, hang full fans from windows, wrap columns in fabric, and top it all off with an American flag flying high. We also have answers to all your display questions on our website, too. Flagandbanner.com. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Alan Leverett, publisher of the Arkansas Times, El Latina Newspaper, Arkansas Food and Farm Magazine, and Savvy Kids. So we had a question during the break, and it is, with so many people getting their news online, is it hard to be competitive while keeping quality content? Well, first of all, we publish ArkansasTimes.com, which had 450,000 unique visitors last month, according to Google. It's the first or second largest news site in the state. So we have tremendous traffic there. We put a lot of resources into it. Max is there with the Arkansas blog doing breaking news and perspective all day. So It's only Arkansas news too, right? Yeah, it's primarily Arkansas. And But I'll tell you, you know, I, I get the... I have a subscription to the New York Times. It comes every day, the newspaper. And then also I subscribe to the Arkansas, the New York Times website. And I will read during the day. When I get a moment, I'll check and see what's going on. I'll read a little bit of the New York Times website. And then at lunch, I will take my newspaper by myself and I'll sit down and I'll read the newspaper. And there's, I realize there's so much that I miss just 
from a, almost a technical point of view of looking at that website, not being able to turn a page and see a story, you know, it's, it's hard to find stories on the web, even on a good website like the New York Times. So I get so much more from sitting there reading my newspaper, but I also read the New York Times. But I always find there's plenty of stuff that I miss that I can sit down at lunchtime and spend an hour. It's and, hard and to navigate that. websites because an ad will come up and you'll shoot off in another direction. Yeah. It's, uh, People let it put a lot of thought into actually the print of the newspaper, what stories go together and how it flows. And you can't really see that on a website as well. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes the web sort of makes you have the attention span of a squirrel and <laughs> you, you know, you just, you're just bouncing all over the place. But no, and also I think, I think for long form journalism, print is far superior it's hard to sit there and read a 3,000 word story online. It just very, very seldom happens. Whereas you could sit there with a magazine or a newspaper. And if the story is engaging and the, and the design is engaging, you very likely will get through it. And I feel smart when I'm reading a newspaper. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel smart when I'm reading, although I read on a Kindle, but I do feel smart when I'm holding a book. There you then go. I don't know why. So that kind of leads us into the next question. What do you see for the future of American journalism and news reporting? I don't think I really have any great insights on where journalism is going. People want news. We've already said that print is not out. We both agree on that. Yeah. And in whatever form, whatever technology does or doesn't bring us, people are still going to want news. You know, one of the things that I, I find interesting is a lot of people, sometimes you go to particularly small business people and they say, well, we're, we're doing all of our promoting on social media. Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting. Here you have a platform that has been so discredited. I mean, you can look at the presidential election, fake news, all the stuff, all the incredible untruths that have shown up on Facebook and all these different sites. You know, the Pope endorses Trump and <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And you know, if a newspaper did that, no one would read it. They would not trust it or a magazine or TV news or whatever. And yet people who have are operating a credible business who know that trust is an integral part of their relationship with their customers, they're relying on a, on a platform that has real credibility problems, which social media has developed. And I, I think Zuckerberg is absolutely aware of this, that they have got to do something to get control of the garbage that is showing up on social media, because otherwise people are not going to want to advertise on it. And I was talking to a friend of mine who published the Memphis Flyer, and he was with some bankers in Memphis the other day, and they were moving their budget back into his newspaper right. because they said, look, we're a bank. We've got to have credibility. And after this presidential election and what's been on social media, we don't want our bank and our advertising associated. We don't know where our ads are going to show up on what they're going to be next to. So they're wanting something that's curated. And that's what newspapers and magazines do is they deliver curated news that you have someone with a brain and who knows the difference between blatant untruths and truth. And they have, they that's done a their great best advertising to, to, tip for people out there that a lot of people feel like they're being pressured to do Facebook advertising and to do internet advertising, you but have, you just gave some great advice. You have no control what your ad is. Your ad could be sitting next to porn. Your ad could be sitting next to you know some some troll from Russia. My Lord, you, yeah. you go through all this effort to keep control of your message, your company's image, and you're going to put it up on Facebook? Are you crazy? Speaking of the internet, let's get Walter Hussman's perspective on newspaper content 
online. You wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal, and you said, and you titled it, How to Sink a Newspaper. And you were urging newspapers to stop providing free content online and warned that free online posting of newspapers would become a self-inflicted wound. And people listened. So really, more than the dot-com boom, it was the fact that that when the Internet came along, uh, a lot of newspapers thought, gosh, this is going to be great. We'll put all of our news up on our website and all these people will read it, and we'll sell advertising, and we won't have the cost of printing. We won't have the cost of the carriers distributing the paper. And Gosh, this is going to be an economic bonanza to us. And so, actually, we did the same thing in 1999. We started putting all of our news up for free. And so, after a while, I went to our people and said, you know, we seem to be getting a lot of traffic on our website, but we don't seem to be getting much revenue. And I, they said, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, uh, you know, we aren't just, we got so much competition. I said, well, let's just raise our rates, you know. I mean, newspapers typically would raise their rates if they need more. They said, we tried that, but there are literally thousands of places people can go now to get information, get news, advertising, et cetera. Uh, we can't, it doesn't work to raise your rates. And so, you know, I would go to a civic club meeting or I'd go, somewhere in town and i'd see somebody and they'd say yeah i love that website of yours i get all that news and it's free and i used to subscribe to your newspaper and i really appreciate you doing that and i thought what are we doing here i mean we're losing these subscribers and during the newspaper competition we fought blood sweat and tears for every subscriber we could get and now we're just encouraging them to leave the paper and i thought look Someday, maybe this online thing will be an economic bonanza, but it's not now. So we're just going to stop giving our content away free. And we did that in 2001. And that's when people thought we were kind of crazy for doing, oh, you're just, you know, living in yesteryear, et cetera. But from 2001 to 2011, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette lost no print circulation. And, the, and during that 10 years, Atlanta, Dallas, places like that, they lost between a quarter and a third or more of their circulation, their print circulation. Why is Because why? they were giving it away free. Oh. And so that's when I was on the board of the Associated Press from 2000 to 2009. And I wrote that article in, th- in 2007 saying, you know, this is just doesn't make any economic sense to give all your news away free. And the publisher of the New York Times, even even though they're giving their news away free, he said, you know, I'm concerned we're raising a whole generation of people who don't even expect to pay anything to get news, you know. And so I think after that 2007 article, it wasn't, didn't happen right away, but over the next few years, more and more papers came to recognize that. And now most newspapers uh, do have a charge for content, a lot of them, including ours now, give you a few articles a month for free. But after that, you know, you're asked to pay. Well, how's you going to pay your staff? Well, I, well, I'll tell you what, it's even become more critical today because there's been a big drop in advertising in all mass media, newspapers, magazines, radio, television. And uh, I think that that's going to come back around. And I'll tell you why. Because at Arkansas Flag and Banner, we were dot-com in 1995 we got flagandbanner.com in 1995 we were part of that bell curve we came right out of the gate on got to the top got lots and lots of competition 
uh, got knocked off the top and now to stay on the top on the internet or to even get seen is so incredibly expensive. We did a survey of our customers not too long ago because I have a guy in my marketing department who kept saying newspapers dying, newspapers dying. 50% of our customers read the newspaper. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, they do. So if your demographics that you sell to are uh, 40 plus, they're still reading the paper. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I never used to read the paper, but now I do. I enjoy it. I enjoy sitting down and reading the paper. Well, and, and we've, you know, we've been able to maintain the generally the quality of our paper. We've had to have some reductions, but nothing like most newspapers have. And a lot of people tell me they, they travel around the country and they can't believe what's happened to other newspapers. The quality's gone down so dramatically. One more broad historical perspective from Alan Leverett of the Arkansas Times that takes the inspiration for the weekly newspaper back 64 years. If you go back to the 1957 integration crisis, what saved Little Rock, in my opinion, in terms of sort of the soul of Little Rock, was while the community and the Arkansas Democrat basically had turned themselves over to the mob, the Arkansas Gazette took a very principled stand went through it in a very, very difficult advertiser boycott and said, basically, we need to follow the law here, the law of land disintegration. We need to integrate Central High School. For that reason, all the banks, the retailers, the department stores all walked out on the Gazette. They lost a million dollars that year. And that was when a million dollars was a million dollars. Yeah. And the Gazette won the admiration of most of the journalists in the nation at that time because of the family's willingness to, to take that hit. And so when that newspaper was shutting down and its assets were being taken over by the old segregationist afternoon paper that you know was the Democrat, or that was their heritage, and it was a very conservative paper, I just felt like that we needed to keep that voice here in the community. And so I went out and Mar Leverett, my wife at the time, she said, well, why don't we take the magazine and turn it into a, a weekly newspaper? And I looked at it and I said, that's a great idea. So I raised $680,000 from 22 business people here in the community. And we took the monthly Arkansas Times Magazine to weekly and hired the senior staff of the Arkansas Gazette as they were hitting the streets. Oh, so you gave people jobs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't, didn't give everybody a job, but we gave... The best. Gave a lot of people. George Fisher came to work for us and Ernie Dumas and Max Brantley and a lot of people. Yeah. I bet that was a really exciting time in your life. That's still exciting. <laughs> It's time to wrap up our conversation about journalism in the state of Arkansas and the state of newspapers today with a terrific quote from Walter Hussman's father. He said, a newspaper has a number of constituencies. Among those are readers, advertisers, employees, creditors, and stockholders. If a newspaper and its publisher always keep those constituencies in that order, readers first, advertisers second, employees third, creditors fourth and shareholders last, then the newspaper will do well journalistically and financially in the interests of all constituencies will be well served. That is flipped from the way many CEOs operate today. They put their stockholders first. And their, that's exactly right. Yeah. That was very. And that's why a lot of them are doing so poorly, you know, because that doesn't work. In most, in a lot of businesses, yeah, you know, you say, we're going to put stockholders first, and that's why we're going into business. It doesn't work in the newspaper business. I don't 
think it necessarily works ever. Well, you know, most good businesses put their customers first. So our customers are our readers and then our advertisers. So Starbucks puts their employees right up there. Oh, yeah. Southwest Airlines says their employees come first. So, you know, if it can work for you, fine. But this is what's worked for us. The man that owns uh, Starbucks, he has had his stockholders come to him over and over and over and say, you need to cut these expenses. You need to, you know, you need to, you need to change your philosophy because we've got to do, we've got to make more money for the shareholders. And he just holds his ground and will not budge on that. Well, that's good. It may stick into some core values. And everybody loves Starbucks. It's a very hard business. When I read about your family's business, uh, through the three generations, I realized it's a very challenging, hard, fluid occupation. It is. And, you know, the amazing thing is we've got a fourth generation now. My son and my daughter both work at the newspaper. And oh, congratulations. I, and I told them, I said, you know, you got to realize this is really got, it's a lot tougher business. Uh, probably not tougher than when we were competing against the Gazette, but it's a lot tougher business than it used to be. And they both said, that's fine. We want to work for the family business. And, you know, everything old is new again. So when I told my son that you owned cable companies and newspapers, he said, that's like retro business. <laughs> he said, no young people read the newspaper or watch TV or watch cable anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of those people who watch Netflix and things, uh -huh. they do it over high-speed Internet, which goes over our cable television. There you go. Oh, look, he's writing me a note. Oh, king of the old media. That's what he called you. <laughs> We've got you a new name, Walter, king of the old media. I like it. Our thanks to Walter Hussman and Alan Leverett for their perspectives on journalism and the world today. Another very interesting show on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you think this program's been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something and that it's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, Go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray, at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week.